This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Welcome back to another episode of the Video Junk Air Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. With me, as always, my good friend and co-host, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain too much, and if I did, nobody would care, I'm sure, so. (laughs) There's no one to listen. (laughs) Is that like a a deep cry for help? Yes. (laughs) Help me, I'm drowning. No, no, things have been pretty good. Um, I I suppose we're probably going to talk about what the weather was like this weekend. It was hot. And we did a yeah. lot of yard work, and uh, yeah, um, our kids have been perpetually like sick, but not like sick badly, just with the sniffles kind of thing. I think it's, I don't know, I'm thinking it's seasonal allergies, but I, I, I don't know, we haven't figured it out yet. But well, yeah, so. I, I was doing yard work today, and I'm glad I picked a day that was only like 65. Yeah, um, it was nice. But nice yeah, the uh, the allergies are definitely. You know, everything's you see it all over my car and everything like that. It's just like the, the yellow dust. Oh, yeah. It's the pollinating of it's that time of year. It's like a, a season in and of itself. But, yeah, um, I get a little pollen allergy a little bit in the spring. Um, I'm more fall allergies when I get really bad. It's mold more than pollen, but. And, you know, it sucks too because, like, it's, it's, you're right coming out of winter. The weather's nice or it's ridiculously hot, like it was surprisingly. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, you want to go outside, and you go out there, and it's just like, no, nature's trying to have sex with my face, huh? <laughs> and so, <clears throat> literally, if you think about it, that's really what's happening, is you're breathing in tree sperm. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, having a reaction to, uh, yeah, all the reproductive materials of trees and flowers and plants. I mean, it's. I guess if I had to choose a form of life on the planet Earth to do that, I, I guess plants are the safest bet. You know, like yeah. I'm glad like that's not how badgers and wolverines yeah. <laughs> just kind of shoot everything off into the air. No, they just like into your face. You know? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's even worse. Yeah, so. <laughs> they just grip your face, and I'm not gonna go any further because this is recorded. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. But, uh, well, I mean, I guess kind of along along those same lines. <laughs> yeah. Talking about Mother Nature procreating on your face. Like, yeah, that's so. right. You know, in a partially related topic, uh, the movie that we're going to be reviewing tonight is, uh, I don't know, this one kind of surprised me. This felt like an Earth Day film, but I think this came out before Earth Day was a thing. I think it? it did, yeah. I'm, I suppose I could Google that, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly. But Earth Day is a relatively recent holiday, I think. I don't think it was around... Yeah, so the uh, movie we're going to be talking about tonight, which is kind of a, I know it's a new one for me, uh, is the 1972 environmental-themed American post-apocalyptic science fiction movie, Silent Running. A 
space convoy on a strange voyage, carrying a rare cargo. The forests, the plants, the growing things doomed to extinction on Earth. We have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests and return our ships to commercial service. Man, we're going home! You can't blow up this forest. Silent running. Cataclysm in outer space. Every moment bringing its own danger as man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe. Valley Forge, Valley Forge, what the hell's wrong? You're moving out, you're accelerating. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now please advise me immediately. Give me Barker. I can't find Barker, I can't find Wolf or Keenan either. I'm afraid, Neil, that they might have been in dome number two. Dome number one. Meet the almost human drones, amazing companions on a journey beyond the stars. <laughs> the man has a full house and he knew it. Now how about that? Hear Joan Baez sing Rejoice in the Sun and Silent Running. So this one is directed, actually, um, yeah, so directed by Douglas Trumbull, one of the few films he directed, but mm -hmm. uh, Douglas Trumbull, for anybody who's not aware, was an absolute pioneer in special effects, especially in science fiction films, um, yeah. who just passed away uh, earlier this year. Yeah. Um, so, Silent Another Run. One of our tribute episodes, we didn't realize. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so... There's not really a short synopsis for this one, <laughs> but I can kind of sum it up quickly. I was gonna say I, I have the I could read the DVD case. I do. Yeah, have go it, for it. It's yeah. not short either, but oh. it's uh. We'll go. Well, I could do that if if you if I'm not stepping on your toes. No, go right ahead. So, um, let's give this a shot. As the science fiction classic opens, botanist Freeman Lowell has spent eight years aboard the space freighter Valley Forge, preserving the only botanical specimens left from Earth under huge geodesic domes. When he receives orders to destroy the project and return home, Lowell rebels and hijacks the freighter, while plunging the craft into the gaseous rings of Saturn. From that moment on, he has only the trees, the gardens, and two drone robots, Huey and Dewey, to keep him company on his greatest adventure of all. Yeah, okay, that sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, post-apocalyptic future where 
Well, and some of the stuff they mention about the film, uh, or in the film, about like the condition of Earth while this is happening, is that yeah. like the temperature is stable. It's like seventy-five degrees on the entire planet, and but there's no plants, so you don't really yeah. get a lot of what's going on on Earth. But it's and not great. I'm not sure it's quite a post-apocalyptic. There's obviously a, a government or some kind of a ruling body. There's still a United States of America. I mean, there's the yeah, know, the the these are American people. Um, and there's the the flag and and corporations obviously play a big role in whatever's going on um at least when it comes to space exploration or whatever they're doing out there because you see uh corporate branding on like everything that they're all the freight and stuff that they're carrying um, yeah even the ship itself um yep. is part it's of a fleet american of american airlines, airlines. the valley yep. forge is the ship um so yeah i want to mention too the cast in this one bruce dern um mm-hmm. plays uh plays lowell uh, Cliff Potts, Ron Rifkin, and Jesse Vint. It does not have a big cast. Pretty much that's it. Yeah. And then the uh, four um, people the, who played the, the droid machines. Yes. The android. The, or the, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What, what are... it? Uh, not quadriplegic. Um, but not, double amputee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, one thing to, to I wanted to bring up first... Um, is the design of this one. Um, I was really quite struck with it. Uh, just the design of the ship and, and the, the, I'm sure we'll get into more of the, the robot or the, the drone designs, but, uh, what, what's your, what's your experience with this one? Um, nothing besides knowing it like a, as I don't know when you when we brought it up and we were talking about we're kind of just filling out the schedule. Um, I think you brought it up as something we might cover, mm-hmm. and I knew when you said Silent Running that this was like an older science fiction movie. I uh, don't know where I came of that awareness, but I was aware of that much, and that's really all I knew about it. <laughs> I didn't know anything. I didn't even know like Douglas Trumbull or that Bruce Dern was like that. Nothing about it other than it was an older sci-fi movie. I I just learned of this like a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, I had never heard of it before, um, and I was scrolling through Facebook and on some movie group that I follow, somebody had posted a picture, or maybe it was in a special effects group or something, but somebody had posted a photo of one of the drones, and it's it's kind of a cool design, and it just caught my attention. And I'd never seen it before. And then I Google it and I was like, holy shit, there's, there's a whole like cult following behind this. <laughs> um, yeah. and, which is kind of odd. You know, like 40, I, I'd like to think that I, I grew up with a lot of science fiction. I mean, it was a, a significant yeah. portion of, of the media I, I uh, you know, consumed. Never heard of this one. So it was, this was kind of a surprise. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a different vein of science fiction that this... Uh, Kind of pre-Star Wars, definitely more realistic, um, mm-hmm. you know, ver- vision of the future. This obviously exists as a, you know, cautionary tale when it comes to, you know, the environment and and such. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly, with, with Doug- Douglas Trumbull's also being involved with Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, it certainly yeah. shares a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit in tone with that, with that film. Um certainly doesn't have the same like it's not the same type of movie or doesn't go the same places but there's there's some connections the way that they use space the way that they're the vision of the future and um some of the 
designs of the ship i think are, are similar in, in some ways but yeah this is definitely with the the long space station type ship within these these pods at the end of it that was a very common uh kind of design i think star wars really changed that yeah um, yeah you know years later star wars brought back the kind of buck rogers flash gordon space fantasy right you know kind of thing but, the ships yeah, look a little is... more like jets or planes or something and yeah in, in this it's this big sprawling thing in space um what did you uh think of, of the character of lowell I mean, I'll get into Bruce Stern's performance, but just the character yeah. of of Lowell itself, kind of. A, I thought it was kind of interesting. Is this the? He's a little. He seems a little off, even before mm-hmm. anything starts happening. I think Lowell from the get go seems a little off, and I think that's intentional. Um, I think one of the things that doesn't we come around to to the end of it and i'll try not to review it yet but it doesn't sit well with me is the fact that i never fully get on board with freeman lull as a protagonist in this movie like yep he's he does some stuff that's that's you know first of all he seems a little off and then kind of resorts to you know well essentially cold-blooded murder when it comes to yeah you know so, so so it's a little hard to really put yourself all in with him um but but I think that's somewhat intentional from the you know from the screenwriters and from um, we mentioned Douglas Trouble as the director. Uh, Michael Cimino actually was one of the co-writers of the uh, script, so he goes on to be an Oscar-winning director as well, and then screenwriter um, with the the Deer Hunter a few years later. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so but yeah, I, I think it's intentional, but it does make him a an odd protagonist, especially a protagonist that you're going to spend so much time with and get to know so well as he's the only person on this, you know, human on the space st- right. uh, station or, you know, freighter for, for most of the film. And yeah, I, I think it's tough to, to get into his headspace because he is a character that's a little, certainly not, I don't know, I, I think a little off is, 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 underselling it a little bit but he's he's somebody who is making somebody who may not be 100 percent what we would consider sane and whether it's space or whether it's you know the political climate on earth or whatever's gone on on we never see earth we never see what it's like we hear some some vague descriptions but he's obviously uh somebody who has a background in in uh naturalism and and forestry whatever he's got all these patches on his uniform of national parks and and things that obviously we're led to believe no longer exist and this is the last kind of remnants of that natural world when he's in the garden he's wearing this kind of noah's like robe you know (laughs) yeah he's you know this weird kind of tan robe thing and and the other guys, although they're they're kind of assholes, but uh, the other guys definitely know, you know, they definitely let Lowell know that they think he's a little odd as well. So. Well, yeah, <laughs> the beginning of the movie, you know, you've got Lowell working in one of the gardens, and they come rushing in with these go-kart-type transports, and they're mm-hmm. literally, like, running over flowers and stuff like that. Just, like, real asshole behavior. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and, and there's a scene, too, where they're in like the the cafeteria or the, the mess hall or whatever you call it um and he goes off on this long you know environmentalist rant and you know about nobody cares and that's really where you get as much of the exposition about like what's going on on earth yeah. um which is still it's it's 
very minor. Um, something I, I would like to have seen more of or learn more about. Uh, yeah, he he lays it on, and it's not necessarily Bruce Dern. It's not even all the character of Lowell. Some of it is in the dialogue and the script. It it lays it on a little heavy at times. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, it's obviously a a movie whose core uh, its core purpose is that environmentalism message. That that's certainly is what they're trying to say. It, it's it's odd that they they chose a character like Lowell to be its voice because obviously because from the get go you, you, his sanity could be questioned. So yeah. But. Well, so and what is it about like cautionary tale, futuristic? I guess you're right. It's not really post apocalyptic, but involving space travel and the earth has essentially died and you have a it's plucky... dystopian possibly yeah. we don't really it's... get to see earth but you can assume that i think that's but what is it with this type of story having to have the adorably cute robots because this is so much like wally in some ways <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's a lot of similarities they... and i assume that the creators of wally are probably well from very familiar with this film i would think yeah but but this also yeah. has like elements you can see were borrowed or feel like they could have been borrowed uh, for movies like Castaway, because there is an isolation aspect here, mm-hmm. um, or The Martian for that for that matter, um, where he's but he's like essentially reprogrammed these robots that are left behind the drones to be almost like I read one description described him as almost pets, uh, but then he kind of reprograms them where they can start doing more tasks for him and stuff. But they really become characters on their own. Yeah. Well, and and some of it is this is the this is the places where the script succeeds. I think some of it is uh Lowell's coping with his his you know loneliness, isolation, the situation that he's in just kind of free floating out in space. Uh whether he put himself in the situation or not, it obviously starts to get to him. So he gives the robots, you know, the drones names and starts to, you know, teaches them to play cards and there's all these kind of endearing scenes. And I think it's interesting that the script that and, is and a cute the performance. <laughs> yeah. The performance as well. Like at first I don't think you look at these you you don't anthropomorphize or, or you know, um, lend any human aspects to these drones at all until that point when the lead character starts to and then all of a sudden it, it does. It really works. It's effective. And they do start to become although nothing's changed about them uh, they they start to have those anthropomorphic qualities and and become characters in their own right. But. Yeah, there's there's some some little tender moments with with the the drones that. Well, especially when was it is it Huey or, or Dewey that gets uh, injured um, when Lowell, Lowell runs him over one of the go kart things at one point, and it's <laughs> it's it's funny how much. I don't know if emotion necessarily. It's not like that to that level, but like how interested you are in like, oh, is he going to be okay? And is and this other little robot reacting to him being mm-hmm. injured? And it's like, oh, that's 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 most of the best stuff in the movie, actually. I think is those those moments. But well, yeah, and then oh, as the robots like kind of just resting, they're injured. Actually, puts up its little claw and holds his hand, <laughs> and I was like, wow, they're really laying it yeah. on. Oh um, yeah, but they lay it on like like molasses at points in this movie so but But i had to keep reminding myself that this came out before star wars yeah and it's it's almost a shame that this doesn't have the same kind of popularity um as as some other 
science fiction films that came out around this time that you know deal with space travel and stuff um with the little robots and stuff like that we don't it's kind of like star wars stole the show um it did you know and it, it we don't really hear about this one quite as much um there, there were a few things in it that i thought were a little odd with just as much as i really love the design of the ships and the droids and everything it's how um some of the plot elements like okay so they they're up there essentially it's an eight-year experiment not really an experiment but an eight-year mission to like keep these forest pods going because that's it for plant life and then the airline essentially just says eh forget about it come back to earth we're going to use the ship for cargo um cargo shipping and stuff and so they blow they're supposed to blow them up Mm -hmm. why jettison them and, and blow them up yeah jettison and blow them up why i just i didn't understand yeah so, i don't understand why they have to destroy them i understand the jettison like trying to get a craft back like they're just like whatever okay you know yeah let it float but but no they're like blowing these things up they're putting charges all around them and i guess i just didn't understand that didn't make sense to me maybe i missed something but yeah yeah well why? i think it's a plot device, and without having to explode them, you never get lulled to the place where he's going to, act, you know, make the actions he does, and um, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you think about it from from the standpoint of like the airline or the authorities, you know, like that. Like, why are yeah. they blowing these things up? Um, why do they care what you jettison around, you know, in between Jupiter and Saturn, out in the middle of the solar system? It doesn't seem like an Earth yeah. that would burn up all its trees really would care about doing a little space littering, but and also why were they all the way over by Saturn? Like <laughs> no explanation. That, where, that's the thing. Where, why, why is they this were... a long like? Where if... were they taking this stuff in the first place? Is... Yeah, are they just because <laughs> if you're just trying to get off of Earth, I mean, most space travel hasn't been that far away from or like manned space travel like the moon is this far right mm -hmm. but most most manned space travel is not very high orbit <laughs> i mean up high above orbit right um so like going all the way to saturn like why yeah so there's almost a i i get the environmental protection aspect of this one um but I wonder why the villains had to be almost anti-nature. Like, literally, they're blowing it up. <laughs> they're blowing yeah, up the like, last of it. They're... Not only do we not need it, we want it destroyed. Like... Yeah, so that feels a little strange. Um, yeah. On the other hand, though, it, it I liked, and I keep going back to the design, but just one of the things I really noticed, that I, I noticed that I thought was really cool, was how the the pods are these forest pods are placed around the ship and so they're all like sticking out in these different directions but because of the the artificial gravity everything acts normal in them um it just looked really cool it was just kind of a neat idea um as far as the basic premise of trying to remove them from earth and keep them in orbit because we can't grow them on earth or something like that that's cool um, yeah, but yeah, the the at the same time, it's it's heavy focus on this environmental issue kind of gets in the way of any logical storytelling. Yeah, so 
No, I, I agree. And when you start to like think about, again, it's it's it, it's one of those that you could say like don't think about it too hard and it's enjoyable and that's true. But I think this is also a story that asks you to think about an issue, and then so so when you ask someone to start thinking about something, and then it falls apart when they do, um, it just it doesn't do a good job of setting itself in its own universe or follow you know setting up some rules for. And they could have done that very easily. Uh, yeah. Lowell could have even just thrown that in as you know his his like soliloquy about the situation. Um, but no, they decide to just kind of leave it open to interpretation and in thus doing so things like yeah exploding exploding the trees doesn't make any sense it's like why why are they going that route yeah it's like, yeah um one of the other we were talking about like little design things that are neat about this movie that i really enjoyed was the scene where lowell has to go outside the space station and do a little spacewalk um he has a spacesuit on that i thought was it just struck me when i saw it like, why do we never do this in, in in futuristic movies that include space? Why are they always still in the big, bulky, like, Apollo-style spacesuits? Like, this is hundreds of years in the future or whatever. And the suit in this is very sleek. It's, like, almost like a scuba suit with a small yeah. mask. And, like, so I'm like, yeah, okay, that that's more what I imagine, like, a futuristic spacesuit looks like. You know, it's it's slimmed down. It's different. It's the same idea. It's, very, you know, you're holding, you got the thermal-style material and a mask and a breathing apparatus. But it's not these big, clunky you watch things set like thousands of years in the future in sci-fi and they're still clunking around in these big padded like suits yeah and, like, even even like... the still suits in dune yeah are more like astronaut like than this thing this is literally like a blue leotard and yeah. a, and a full scuba mask <laughs> was... and yeah in a way and i was kind of like i buy it because that's kind of usually what happens to technology it starts off as this big you know uh-huh. technology kind of shrinks as things move along you know Think of computers that take up an entire room and are now the cell phones in our pockets, kind of thing. It's uh, yeah, you know what what would a you know a spacesuit look like hundreds of years in the future? So I don't know a, a very small detail that I thought was kind of like oh that's cool. Maybe it was just that they couldn't get their hands on a spacesuit, but I doubt that was the case. But <laughs> well, I, even the the kind of unconventional design of the drones, you yeah. know, they're they're kind of pre r2d2 yes um but more boxy like they look like yeah, they're crossing they, r2 and the, and the gonk and they kind of waddle almost penguin like mm-hmm. um and like i mentioned earlier on uh they they're played by they they hired four bilateral amputees which are people that have no lower limbs mm-hmm. um so they're walking the way that they walk on, on using their hands as their primary um but yeah, in these costumes, so they got the you know people in the costume. But that's kind of how they walk. It's a, yeah, it's a, and it works. kind of a cool idea. Yeah, it's, yeah, it works really well. Um, it it feels very believable because of the for these these act these performers' arms right, are covered now in in these like kind of robot parts, and it's these kind of hydraulic looking legs, um, mm. and just the way that they moved was very believable in in that way for for uh for a small bipedal robot so yeah i and then they got little gadgets all over them and stuff like that so i can definitely see the appeal um you know i can see how these have become into this kind of cult that i was unaware of (laughs) but yeah so 
yeah, I think, um, I don't know. There's like, there's some, there's some things that are likable about this and the, the, the drones are definitely the majority of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lowell, Lowell kind of existing, like, I like the like trapped in space aspect of this when he's like lost, you know, kind of just, you know, Robinson Crusoe and, and <laughs> out in the, out in these like, uh, yeah domes geodesic domes in space that the concept is cool i don't know if a whole lot of like what lol does ever makes a whole lot of sense to me including like the beginning when he you know murders the only guy that's nice to him <laughs> on this whole thing um, yeah and uh you know blows everybody else up and steals this thing and then kind of forces himself to become lo- lost in space like most of his actions don't make sense because the end game never exists like this is a situation that was hopeless from the get-go um, there was never a lol saves the day. He's just prolonged the inevitable for how, you know, e- even at the best case scenario until he grows old and dies <laughs> like that's Yeah. I mean, uh, and it, like, it's, it sets it up with like, I think once the action gets started in what, like 15, 20 minutes into the movie, mm-hmm. cause it's not a long film. It's like an hour and a half. No, it's not. Yeah. It's 90 minutes. Exactly. I yeah. think so. And uh, so, you know, it doesn't take long for you to figure out what situation you're in. And then you, it slowly dawns on you as you're watching it, th- this is this is bad. <laughs> like, this is going to yeah. be a bad ending. Or, not a bad ending. This is going to be... Uh, this is not going to be a happy ending. You figured out that, lol, the, there was no end game where yeah. anyone wins here. Like, there was... Yeah. yeah. It's... Uh, yeah, one of my notes that I wrote down, like, to could kind of on this point was it's like all, all of lol's plans or lack thereof seem kind of moronic or not well thought out i can't figure out if the writers know this or not like if that was intentional or yeah. like yeah or whether you know we were supposed to be like hoping for him to like i don't know pull something off which i had trouble rooting for him in the first place i mean not that he not that he was uninteresting as a character but like he's not he's not a hero by any means so it's uh right However, uh, what do you think of his performance, though? Bruce Dern's performance. It's good. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Bruce Dern. Somebody I'm, I'm aware of. Like I know I've known who he is for years. I'm not sure I've seen him in a whole lot of things. I'm trying to think of like what roles I know him from. Um, the Burbs is the first one that comes to mind. Yep, yep. That's always the first one that I think of too. But that's kind of the the role that I'm used to seeing Bruce Dern play. And this one's not a huge step. Lowell in this movie is not like a huge leap away from that kind of like cra- kind of crazy villain. I mean, he always play like a, a flunky or of a vil- of a villain kind of. Um, yeah, but he he's fine. I I know I you know I I know Bruce Stern's got a reputation of being a great actor, and I'm sure that's absolutely true. I didn't see I wasn't wowed by his performance in this, but it's fine. It's it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. He's not doing anything bad here, and, and at times he's he's you know compelling. Um, I find his stuff with the drones to be the best stuff about the movie, yeah. honestly. But I could have used a lot more. You hardly ever hear me say this, but I could have used a lot more of the schmaltzy, cutesy drone stuff. <laughs> the, yeah, but... yeah, those really were the best for him. Playing him, teaching him to play poker, is yeah. a really good scene. Um, you know, there's these tender moments when like one's injured and stuff. Those are great. The human interactions are just uncomfortable, mm-hmm. or you're watching murder. Um, yeah. And then this is also juxtaposed, which is this was a thing at the time, so I'm not 
bashing it because it wasn't this isn't something that's uncommon um the music oh yeah so we're, the... we're treated to two <laughs> songs from joan Baez. yeah in that, that are entirely scene. inappropriate for this 70s yeah i i just but that's so common that style that carpenter's style you know mm-hmm. in in movies and we've talked about this before but that's not a thing that commonly happens anymore i'm not gonna say it never does because every time there's a james bond movie there's the song but it's what plays at the beginning i was gonna say the songs are very like yeah it's a very like set what function that song is gonna play in in that movie but yeah this one is weird and it just seems really inappropriate for a futuristic like I don't know, it's not, it's not, it sounds like a Joe Bi- Joan Baez song, and there's nothing yeah. different about... Yeah, I don't know. The rest of, And the rest of the score sounds like it's appropriate for, for the mm-hmm. film we're watching. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a science fiction... It sounds like a science fiction film. It sounds like space. It sounds like all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you get this kind of acoustic-y, folky. early 70s <laughs> folky song, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the film itself, just because of standards from today versus you know the the early 70s it's it's pretty hokey i mean there's a lot of camp styles in this or today would be viewed as camp um but again that was that was common at the time this isn't surely this isn't the only one that feels that way uh when you revisit it or or watch something you know out of out of its chronological context i guess Mm. um so, I don't know. I mean, again, this was one for having never heard of it before and uh, seeing it. I'm glad I saw it, but it's yeah, yeah. I can, I can see why there's an appeal, but cross it off yeah. the list, kind of thing. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, I. It didn't do very well in the. It was critically well received. Yeah, very, very much so. I think it's in. I mean, even to this day, I think it's Rotten Tomato scores like seventy-five or seventy-six, yeah. like pretty well-received film. But audiences um, didn't didn't really yeah. care I'm or not hear about it. Really, super surprised by that. Like, it's 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 not the most exciting film in the world, and I'm not sure that's what people were looking for. I don't know. And with its with its links to two thousand one, which is also a very slow-paced mm-hmm. movie. But it's definitely got, 2001's got a darker, you know, kind of, it, it's a very different kind of film. Even though they made, they share some, some commonalities that's, yeah, this was no 2001. And it, it's hard to be, hard to believe that people wouldn't have, you know, being that Douglas Trumbull's major triumph in special effects is that film. Yeah. Um, coming off of that and doing this, uh, people probably made the association like oh he's doing another space movie there's good this is going to be something like that and it's not really <laughs> well so. and, I, and i also read that the uh, studio didn't do much to really promote it okay yeah so that's always an issue as well yeah but this was one of two movies that trumbull uh directed this and then brainstorm okay yeah um which i'm blanking on the big actor from uh that one um christopher walken okay yeah yeah i think i know the movie you're talking about but yeah um, uh but trumbull did 
special effects for you know obviously not only this and uh 2001 but also close encounters star trek the motion picture Mm -hmm. uh blade runner and most recently tree of life oh right so and he also pioneered some uh visual styles or some some techniques for for shooting at certain aspect ratios so he you know the, the guy was like a powerhouse in in hollywood from this from the special effects and we always hear about you know Stan Winston and and Rob Bottin and and all of these other special effects guys. We always think monster makeup, but we don't talk up much. I don't hear a lot of talk about these types of effects artists anymore. No. And miniatures, yeah, yeah, people with, that are masters. Mini- yeah, and, and and you could bring that up in you know a lot of genre films we talk about, you know, constantly. We've brought mm-hmm. up Star Wars already in this, and and re- they're. Reliance on really fantastic miniatures is, you know, what made those movies what they are, and I think that's exactly what his strength with uh, what they did with two thousand one, especially, but also um, this film. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which mm-hmm. is not a great movie, but it's got it's got you know it's a very cool looking movie at times. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Miniatures. I know miniatures are obviously still used, um, but not like this nowadays this would all be rendered um right and yeah. and I, I will say the 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 miniatures in this are really good yeah like when they they're are. when they're hobbling around on the outside of the ship um and he's doing that spacewalk it looks really cool like that you can't tell it's a model yeah and the, the cool thing and we talked about this a little bit when we did the uh raise the titanic movie the, the vast scale of the quota they call mm-hmm. it a miniature because obviously it's smaller than the titanic but it was this giant you know scale model and this similar uh to that this this valley forge um ship was a 25 foot long model it took six months to build and Mm -hmm. um yeah it had what they say here on wikipedia page i'm reading but the approximately 800 prefabricated model aircraft and tank kits went into building it and um yeah so it's it's cool i mean it's it's a neat looking miniature and i think what you just the interesting thing is when you say miniature, people think like tiny little little villages and things that you and that's part of it. But like this thing is a huge model. It's just right. not as big as a spaceship would have been. You know, it's it's yeah. miniature in that sense. Well, and it's kind of funny too that the in the movie the ship is the Valley Forge, and all of the interiors of this were actually shot on the aircraft carrier, the USS Valley Forge. <laughs> yep. So yep. that's where they took the name from. Um, yeah. So that was kind of neat. And apparently all the forest environments were... Uh, straight from Wikipedia. All of the forest yeah. environments were um, uh, from... They were shot in uh, Van Nuys, California, but originally they were going to use Mitchell Park domes in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. So that would have been And that's cool. kind of what the idea is, supposedly, of the, the domes. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Um, visually, great, but then there's the other stuff so uh yeah. do you want to it's kind of a short review it's kind of a short movie um it is wanna, yeah it was re- a lot more brief than i expected it to be yeah. honestly <laughs> like, do you want to jump into uh final thoughts and a great sure i was just kind of like t- thumbing through notes here real quick to see if there's anything i didn't get to and i think we pretty much covered everything i, I wrote down so um yeah, I, I don't want to be too hard on this one, but I also want to give it an honest, you know, grade that reflects my enjoyment level of it. This is not a bad movie, but I don't think it's a 
It's a great movie. It, in its best moments, it's kind of cute and endearing. At its worst moments, it's kind of nonsense and you know a little bit dull at points. Um, you know, some of that. Some of that is that it's the 1972. It's a very like real life based sci fi movie. It's it's about a man lost in space, and it, it it's it's more about the character of Lowell than it is about the lost in space aspect of that. So I, I get that, but even with all of that, it, it can be a little a little dull. And for a ninety, you know, an eighty-nine minute movie to to feel that way, you know, it's uh, um, is saying something. However, I don't think it's without its its charms. It certainly is not offensively bad, and then uh, there's certain, you know, the drones and such as we uh, remembered is, uh, or as we were talking about earlier, uh, certainly worth the spending the ninety minutes, but. Um, I think what it comes down to is the two things that bugged me the most about it were Lowell as a protagonist is, uh, I think the screenwriters, and being that there's four, I think this, this tends to happen usually when you, the more screenwriters' names you see on a script, the more kind of, um, you know, maybe too, too many cooks that might be the uh-huh. right thing to say. <laughs> you know, you get some, some uh, inconsistencies in the script and characterization sometimes, and I think that might be the case here, but, you know... Um, Writing him as a, or if you're supposed to take Lowell as being a hero of in any sense in this, I don't think it quite works. I'm not sure you're really supposed to take it there, but um, I don't know something about them being. It seems like they're uncertain what they're doing with that character. They have him act in certain ways, and it doesn't always seem like you know they've got it figured out. It's okay if the character doesn't quite have it figured out, but I think the screenwriters probably should, but and the director. Um, and then you add the uh, the music was pretty <laughs> pretty hard to deal with, uh, and, and nothing against the music in general. It just is highly inappropriate. Um, yeah, and I think my, my biggest gripe is like I brought it up briefly, but that this uh, situation um, that Lowell, you know, he acts acts this way. He he murders a man. He you know blows up two two other of his crewmates, and he steals the ship essentially. Um, I think my biggest issue is that, well, what is it all for? It's all for nothing. And you know that from the get go. So like, it just seems like he's mm-hmm. kind of just acting out in a way. Like there's no real, he doesn't, there was never a situation where Lowell was going to save this type of stuff. And we end up with this, you know, him dead detonating and just sending this, you know, saving the trees. I mean, they float out in the, the, the domes out into space, but like, what does that accomplish for anybody? <laughs> Like with the vastness of space, the uh, the idea that that would anything, you know, even even if Huey and Dewey are in there taking care of the plants, how long until you know the power, or the the whatever, yeah. the atmospheric controls, like the idea that anybody was gonna find this stuff or it would be saved in any way, I I don't know. I'm not sure what we we're supposed to get out of all of that. So all of that being said, I you know have a fair amount of gripes, but I didn't hate it. I, I think it's it's worthy of a straight down the middle of the road. I think I'm gonna give it a C. Um, it's, it's watchable, but I think if you if you really start picking apart at it, um, it kind of falls apart pretty easily. That's fine for a movie like Con Air, but it's not really fine for a movie that you know they're asking you to kind of kind of think about an issue and it just doesn't hold up. <laughs> yeah, I I can see that. Um... I overall, I'm really like I said before. I'm really glad I saw this one. I think I actually really did enjoy it for the most part. Um, and again, most of that was from a technical perspective. For a movie made in 1971, came out in 72. This looks really good. 
Yeah. Um, Agreed. It, it's on par, honestly, on par if not better in some parts than 2001 in, as far as uh, from a visual perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see why there's there's an appeal to it. But yeah, if you think about this one for more than just a minute or two, it narratively falls apart. Um, <clears throat> there's also something that I forgot to bring up that just really made no sense to me. So he's a botanist and an ecologist. And he can't figure out why the forest is dying at one point. And then he gets the realization, oh yeah, sunlight. It's like, really? <laughs> you're just now... I've been wondering how that yeah. works this whole movie. And you're just now like, oh, that's what... And so he just goes around and starts putting up all these like essentially big halogen floodlights. And... Which is still not sunlight. <laughs> which is still not sunlight. It's like, what? okay, you know, it could be UV, whatever, but it's clearly not. Yeah. Um, what, what about when those burn out? Yeah. So, yeah, the, the ending is this very touching thing where he, he, you know, they run into another ship, or they not run into, but they make contact with another ship who's like, hey, we've been looking for you. And he, you, you want to think it's because he realizes he's in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But really, it's more just a. Uh, no, they're just going to blow up the forest. So he jettisons the forest and then blows himself and one of the, the drones up. And so, like the last scene is, you know, the cute little drone, and he's got his he's 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 got you know, Dern's little watering pail, and he's just out there floating around in space, this little forest in a pod, and like you said, okay, and what. Are we to learn from that? Or is is the message really like, hey, this isn't going to work, so take care of the Earth while you can today? Okay, yeah. you might want to make that a little more explicit, uh, exactly. but I think that might be what they were going for. Um, so it's more, you're right, as far as like the story doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think this is really a story that's trying to tell a story as much as a kind of a character study. Yeah. Um. And so for that, I don't know. I overall, I think I enjoyed it more than I was bothered by it. And so I'm actually going to give it a higher grade. I'm actually going to go with a B minus. But realize that a vast majority of that is from like it's visually appe- appealing. Yeah. So, but uh, so yeah, a little bit of some different views on this, but but interesting nonetheless. And would love to hear what any of our listeners have to think of Silent Running. Uh, please feel free to send any of those questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms to the Video Junk Air podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Junk Pod or find us on Facebook at the main Video Junk Air podcast page. Uh, if you write it, we'll read it, and we look forward to hearing from you. And if you like what you hear, um, I'd like you to join us over at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. Got any money? You, uh, decide to make a small donation, um, you'll be rewarded with lots of exclusive content uh chance to vote on uh, movies to watch on the show and of course uh we will thank you on each and every episode just like we're going to thank our patron scott stewart at the uh, right now thank, thank you scott you. for continuing to support the podcast and um yeah i hope you uh check that out and we'll consider joining the video junkyard podcast family we also hope that you come back to join us for the uh 
next Video Junkyard podcast where we'll be watching Enemy Mine, which is another classic sci-fi yeah, movie. Yeah, we're kind of doing a two-part so. marooned in space. <laughs> yep. And then uh, followed by some uh, kung fu films. I, I uh, The Man with the Iron Fist and then A Fist of Legend. Um, I'm not sure if Joe will be joining us for all of that. You'll be at it. He'll be traveling uh, as for some of those. I can't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think the second weeks one we have, but yeah, yeah I think the second um, one. Yeah. So fine. anyway, and that's all I have on the schedule. So if anyone out there does uh, follow us, uh, or part of our Patreon family, or follows us on uh, Facebook or Twitter, make sure and get in your movie requests and uh, go and vote on the free poll that is also up on the page, and we'll uh, we're putting together some. Um, so audience picks for this summer, which we usually do a month of those during the summertime. At least that's been the tradition so far. Um, this is uh, going to be out, what, in a week and a half? So you're really running out of time. You need to go, go in there and get your <laughs> voting in. So uh, we'll be almost up to it by that point. But, yeah, so let us know what you want us to watch. And we want to thank you once again for listening to Video Junk Air Podcast. And we hope you've enjoyed it. And we hope that you'll be willing to uh, share it around, give it a like a heart, whatever the heck you're looking at it through social media. And until next time, I'm Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Branson. Have a good evening. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash videojunkyardpodcast, on Twitter at videojunkpod, and on Instagram as videojunkyardpodcast, all one word. want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard.